very good morning to you, Freedom Church. I'm not sure if it's uh, you watching on a Sunday morning or if you're perhaps listening to this while you're driving to work or on the way to see a client, but it's an absolute privilege to be sitting here. We've got together early on Thursday afternoon, and I just want to again honor the team that have behind the scenes put so much effort into this recording. It's absolutely special. What we've done is we've got together in a couple's home, something different this week in their entertainment area, and we've socially distanced ourselves again. You don't have to worry about that with our masks, and we had something to eat. And then we spent some time in prayer. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, my mate Gert, uh, uh, it's as if he had my notes because he was just praying, just so in line with this message. And then we, we spent some time in worship. You've been part of that worship tonight with us. Absolutely special to just engage in God's presence. And I trust that you too, even if you've just been listening to it while you've been driving, that you've somehow experienced God's presence in your car, in your lounge, or in your bed as you've been watching and singing out loud and giving God glory because He deserves it. Even in these times that we're going through these very difficult times, I was thinking of so many of you again this week facing many curveballs, many difficult situations, many curveballs that, that catch you by surprise. And, and you don't know how to handle that curveball that gets thrown at you at 200 k's an hour. It's like, wow, what, what's going on? I, I met a lady this week. I asked her, how old is her son? I said, how old is your son? And she smiles, 21. And then suddenly she realizes, oh. She says, I don't know if we'll be able to do a party for my son. Uh, hopefully the president announces that we can do something for my son for his 21st birthday. I met a man this week. He was wanting to get married last year, end of last year. Him and his fiance put on a massive, massive wedding and they were planning and they had to put on hold. And now they were going to do it at the end of February. Still don't know if they can. And their deposits and all that. Curveball. Massive curveball. I think of a, a couple in our church. Their daughter got married. She immigrated to New Zealand. She was supposed to come back to South Africa for a holiday with her husband at the end of last year. Couldn't come. Curveball. Facing all these curveballs that we find ourselves trying to juggle at difficult times. I had the privilege of doing a, a funeral last week for a family Saturday. They wanted to do a, a big funeral to honor their mom and their grand. And they couldn't because you only allowed 50 people. Curveball. And the... They had to change plans. They ended up doing it at this lady's home where she stayed. She was a tenant. She stayed at a, a, a flat in Faramir. And it was probably, for me, one of the most special, one of the most personal, intimate funerals that, that I've done in a very long time. And I thought of them changing plans, facing a curveball, and through the change of plans, how God did something incredible at that funeral service, and, and I wondered, I drove away with Michelle wondering if, if it would have been as special if it was in a big church. Friends, we have to believe that God works out everything for the good. Maybe you've heard someone say that. Maybe a friend of yours has said, oh, don't worry. Everything will work out for the good. Don't worry, you'll see. Just relax. Everything turns and works out for the good. They, they're right if they say that and if they've said it to you, but they're half right. 
They, they've quoted scripture, but they've only quoted a little bit of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, because this is what it says. It says, and we know. Who's we? We know. Christians who've given our lives to Jesus. We know that in all things, God works out for the good of those who love him and who've been called to his purposes. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so I don't know what curveballs you're facing right now. Maybe your kids haven't been able to go to school and you're facing that curveball. Maybe right now financially your life's just been turned completely upside down. You're facing a massive curveball. I got a WhatsApp before we started worshiping God tonight from a mate of mine. I haven't opened it. I'm too scared. It says, hey, Fox, do you remember so-and-so? Curveball. Maybe this guy's passed away. Facing curveballs. I went with two brothers to the Glenwood Hospital to go and pray for a man who's been in ICU for over 35 days with COVID. We go and we pray out loud, taking a step of faith, being bold. I'm standing with these two brothers. They're praying loud in the parking lot. eh? I'm thinking, and and, and he passes away. Curveball for his kids and his wife here in Faramir. But I want to say this, friends. You're facing curveballs. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of uncertainty at a time like this. But if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Jesus, trust God's word. Go and put up Romans 8.28. In all things, sadness, curveballs, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to to his purposes. And if you're sitting saying, but Daryl, how do I apply this to my, to my life? How do, how do I put this in, into practice? And very simply, to close your eyes, to pray something like this. God, I don't understand why. I don't understand how. I don't understand this curveball. doesn't make sense, God. But I'm a Christian. I belong to you, Jesus. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. And with a little bit of faith, just a little bit of faith like a mustard seed, God, I'm trusting that you are God, that you are sovereign, and that you will make good. Kind of come out of this curveball and this situation I find myself in. And, and, and pray it from your heart. Use your own words. But trust God that he will work out good. Why? Because he's God and he's sovereign for the good of those who love him. And are called according to his purposes. I met a Greek man at a Greek restaurant for lunch this week. And he said something incredible, this Greek man. And uh, me, standard grader, I had to get home and phone him again. Because I, I couldn't quite remember exactly the wording that he used. And so as he explained to me over the phone again what he said over lunch, I wrote it down. This is what he said. It's absolutely amazing. He said to me, Fox, nothing is owned. Everything is either borrowed or leased. He says, we don't own anything. You might think you own it. But when you leave this earth one day, nothing is going with you. And I don't think my Greek friend actually realized that he was quoting 
scripture from the Bible because it says this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 7. It says, for we brought nothing. We brought nicks. Afrikaans, my mate, Afrikaans. We brought nicks into this world. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. And so I've been thinking about what my Greek friend said to me over lunch at the Greek restaurant about us not owing anything, owning anything. And, and, and I stumbled upon a story that Jesus told thousands of years ago. He tells a, a story. And, and before we talk about this story, I want us to pray. I want us to pray that this story, Jesus, that you told thousands of years ago, that's been recorded in your Bible, God, it's been put in for a reason. It's been put in for us to fully grasp and understand. I pray that this story would come alive to people today. I pray their eyes would be opened today as they grasp this story that you told Jesus. Pray for families. Pray for people watching right now, listening as they're driving around. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we find the story in Luke chapter 20. If you can open up your Bible, I'd love you to open it up there. You also get the story in Matthew chapter 21 and Mark chapter 12. But we're going to read it tonight from Luke chapter 20, picking it up from verse 9. Let me give you a bit of background quickly before this story. So Jesus is sitting with uh, people around him. He's made his way up to Jerusalem. But it's been time for him to start getting ready to go to the cross. And, and people have been expecting God to send them a king. Spend the, send them someone who's going to be a national leader and restore their nation to its former glory. And so they're waiting for this king that God has promised them. But they were deaf to the words of the priests and the prophets. And they were blind to Jesus' mission. Because they're expecting a king to come into Jerusalem on war horses with soldiers and swords. Jesus does come. Jesus arrives. He comes to Jerusalem. Ah, he comes on a donkey. Humble. And he comes in. And because many people assumed that, that, that Jesus was, was going to come in as, as a king in a, on a war horse, not humble on a donkey, they, they were disappointed. They thought, Jesus, there's no way that this, this man is going to be able to fulfill our hopes. And, and, and many people actually turned away from Jesus. Many people actually turned against Jesus. And so the leading priests and teachers and religious law leaders and wealthy leaders and politicians and business people, they began to plot how to kill Jesus. And so this is the scene now in Luke chapter 20. Jesus wants to tell them a story. It's time for Jesus to tell them a story. I love Jesus, eh? He never reacts. He's always calm, under pressure, and he tells a story at just the right time. And these religious oaks, they seething. It's hectic with a double tick. Let's get stuck into it. I want to read it with you here. Pick it up from verse 9. Jesus turned to the people again, and he told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers, underline that, tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live there for several years. Jesus is clever, eh? He tells incredibly clever stories. What an amazing storyteller. Carry on reading. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. 
By the way, this is customary in the times that they're living in. So the owner of the vineyard would go and, and expect at least half, sometimes more, of, of the grapes in return for him leasing the vineyard to the, the tenant farmers. But the tenant farmers attacked the servant. They beat him up. They sent him back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant. But they also insulted him. They beat him up. And sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent and they wounded him. Chased him away. What will I do? The owner asked himself. I know. I know. I'll send my cherished son. Surely, surely they'll respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, Here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him. And get the estate ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the estate will do to them? Jesus asked. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. He will come. And he will kill those farmers. And he will lease the vineyard to other tenant farmers. Underline that. Other tenant farmers. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen. His listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, then what does this scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. I prayed about that in our prayer meeting earlier. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized that Jesus was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. And I read the story over and over this week. And me and my standard grain brain, I, I realized, okay, who are these different characters in the story? Let me ask the oak sitting here tonight, some of my mates here, English and Afrikaans. Who, who's the owner of the vineyard? Let's get that right. Who do you think that was? 100%. Eh? Saved by a slim diphro van Bunyoniaf. God's the owner of the vineyard. I mean, that's easy. You're very clever there, Christy. Who are the evil tenant farmers? Let's get that right. 100%, doctor. Those religious oaks. They, the, those are the oaks that thought that they were better than everyone else. The religious leaders, evil tenant farmers. And there's some other tenant farmers that we're going to talk about later. We'll come back to the other tenant farmers that you underlined in your Bible. Who's the owner's son? Marissa. That soft, gentle voice. Owner's son, Jesus. Incredible. Beautiful. Jesus, the owner's son. And who were the servants? The servants that the landowner sent to the farmers. Who were they? Eh? Who were the, the other servants? Got you, bud. I, I like your uh, charismatic answer there, bud. The, the prophets and the priests. You know, you know who they were? Guys like Jeremiah. He was a prophet. The Old Testament. He prophesied. And you know what happened to Jeremiah? He's probably stoned to death. Isaiah. Another prophet. That oak was a proper prophet. I read about how he was maybe killed. You know, that oak was killed. They say he was probably put into a hollow tree trunk. And he was probably sawn in half in that tree trunk. 
how they've sent away the prophets and the priests who warned the people. Eh? Some say that you could put John the Baptist's name in there as to one of those three servants that Jesus lists in this story. Poor John the Baptist. That guy, incredible man, eh? You know how he was killed? Some chick wanted his head brought to her on a platter. He was beheaded. His head was chopped off. And so these servants that God sent were beaten, were stoned, they were killed by the very people claiming to be of God. The very people who said they were obedient to God. But throughout the ages, God has used his servants to remind his church. Throughout the ages, God has used his servants to remind us that he's entrusted to each one of us in his vineyard. He's entrusted to us as his tenant farmers. You've got to remember that. As his tenant farmers. He's entrusted certain things to us. And he uses stories in the Bible to, to, to remind us of what he's entrusted to us. One of those stories, if you just flick back to Luke chapter 19. We won't read it now, but I'll just give you a quick replay of what happens in this story. Luke chapter 19, Jesus again tells an incredible story about himself. He tells a story about a nobleman who, who, who was sent off to a far distant country where he was made king. But before he goes off to this far distant country, he calls in his, his servants and he gives them each a coin, a silver coin. And he goes off to the distant country, becomes king there, comes back. And he calls his servants in and he says to his servants, I want to see what you've done with, with the money. I want to see the money that I entrusted to you. What have you done with it? And he calls in the first servant and, and he says, Master, this is what I did. I, I, I actually gave profit. I, I, I took ten, made 10 times the amount that you gave me. And, and the king says, well done. Well done. He calls the next servant in. He says, what have you done with the money that I entrusted to you, that, that silver coin? He says, Master, I've made five times the amount. And his master says, well done. But well done. He calls in the third servant. He says to him, how much money did you make? How, how much interest return did I get on the money I gave you? He says, I hid it. I hid it. I, I didn't make any money. And the king says, you wicked servant. He says to the other servants, take his money and give it to the others. And the servants say, no, but that's not fair. And Jesus says this. He says, to those who use what they are given well, even more will be given, but those who do nothing, even what little they have, will be taken away. And so we see from these two stories, friends, that God, the owner of the vineyard, Christy, you were right, he entrusts a certain amount to us, his tenants, farmers, and that we need to be responsible as to what we do with what he's entrusted to us. And so two points today, friends. Point number one, do you know the owner of the vineyard? Of course I do, Daryl. Yes, Christy's right, God. Do you know personally the owner of the vineyard? Someone would say, oh, of course I do. He's a slave driver. And he puts rules down and he says, you must do this and you can't do that. And you have to do this as you work in my vineyard. Some people would argue that God is maybe micromanaging them and he tells them what to do. 
No, you don't know. You don't know the owner of the vineyard. He does not micromanage you. He gives you gifts and talents. He does not try and control you and tell you what to do. The owner of the vineyard wants you to thrive as you work. Yes, work in his vineyard. And as you farm in his vineyard. We'll talk about what work really means a bit later. That's point number one. Do you know the owner of the vineyard? Do you know him? Second point, what is the owner of the vineyard entrusted to you, ma'am? What's the owner of the vineyard entrusted to you, Will? What has he given you? What character traits has he given you? What seeds has he planted in your life, Christy? What, what are you doing with those gifts, fella? What are you doing with those seeds that he's given you, got a voice note from a lady this week in our church. I like voice notes. She says to me, uh, Daryl, I have a sense, she's, she's a qualified counselor. She says, I have a sense that God has gifted me to be a listener. She says, uh, if, if you hear of anybody who, who, who needs to just chat and maybe have a coffee, she says, I'm available for a while. That, that WhatsApp voice note undid me. That night, I get a message from a lady in our city. Her dad is busy dying of cancer. She says to me, Daryl, my mom and I need somebody to speak to. I thought, wow. Here's a lady saying, I want to use my gift to listen to people. It's absolutely incredible. I thought, come on, man. I'm not the church. I cannot be the church. We the church and God has given you gifts ma'am that I don't have and that my wife doesn't have and the team don't have God has given you gifts sir that 20 and my butt and sucky and the rest of the guys don't have what are you doing with those gifts how are you living tenant farmer God's entrusted gifts to you what are you doing with those gifts because we we are the church Sundays are not the church. We are the church. And you, together, are the church. There's a lady in our church. She messages Michelle. She says, there's a family right now. They're going through a really tough time. Do you think that we can organize a, a meal roster for them? Do you think that there will be people that will say, yes, we'll drop off a meal? She says, by the way, I'll organize the roster. I thought, wow, she's using her gifts of planning and organizing. She'll do it. I heard another story this week of, of someone in our church. They shared with me how they pull up to the robot. They don't have money, but they wind their window down. And they speak to the beggar at the robot. And they said to me, they just said, I don't have anything today, but God bless you in Jesus' name. They said, this beggar's face lit up. And she smiled, this beggar smiled. She says, I've got a job. I start my job tomorrow. She said to this person in our church, I'm so excited. What are you doing with your gifts? Put your finger up there if you're sitting. Put your finger up, guys. 
What are you doing with that finger? Push that button on the electric window button at the robot. Oh, I'm too scared, Daryl. Then just put it down a little bit and just shout out to the beggar, God bless you. In Jesus' name. What are you doing with that finger when someone gets put on your heart by God to WhatsApp them or phone them? Just push that number on your phone. Just phone them. Lifting up your finger, moving your finger is a gift that God has given you. Some people can't even move their finger. What are you doing with your talents and your gifts and your time? Heard about two sisters in our church. They had a far distant aunt who passed away. And so they thought, yeah, maybe we should go to the funeral. Far away though, West Rand went all the way. Get to the funeral. They discover they're the only two family members from this side of the family that are at the funeral. And so the rest of the family can't stop thanking them enough for just coming to the funeral. What are you doing with your time? Because your time is a gift. Tenant farmer. My mom and dad years ago, they had friends. They, they did life together with this couple uh, in Eastvale. I was born in Eastvale, proper place there, other side Springs. And so on a Sunday afternoon, my uh, mom and dad used to have this couple for, uh, for lunch and four or five o'clock used to come. And one day, one day my mom and dad said to this couple, don't you want to come to church? And then they sort of said, okay, we'll come, we'll come to church. From that day on, that couple started going to church, started learning about Jesus. My mom and dad didn't invite them to church to make sure they became members of that church to try and control them. No, no. My mom and dad invited that couple to church to show them just a little bit about Jesus and his father, the owner of the vineyard. And this lady had a gift she used to play the piano for the school concerts. And soon after, they got plugged in and started doing life. Not for church, not for man, but for God. She started playing the piano at church. That couple are in their 60s now. They live in the UK. And I think they're watching today. They're tenant farmers in the UK. Making a difference. Using their gifts. Thousands of kilometers away from Eastvale in Hatze. Last story I share with you today, friends. Go back to the funeral that I did on Saturday last week. I sat down on Friday and I was trying to prepare a message. Nothing was coming. I woke up early Saturday morning. Nothing was coming. I thought, oh, well, let me go with the, my mates on the bike ride. Let me try to clear my head a little bit. It went even further south as we rode out there past Alberton. One of my mates says to me, why are you so quiet today? I said, you know what, but in a few hours' time, I, I, I'm doing a funeral for a family. and I don't want to just wing it. Because it's easy, you know. It's a small funeral. and I want to... I want to Share something that's going to encourage this family. Something that's going to honor their mom and their gran that passed away. I get back home and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm crying out, Lord, please, can you just give me something? And suddenly I think about the street 
that this lady lived in, in Faramir. And so I googled the meaning of this street where she lives. She's a tenant. She lives in a rented flat in the street in Faramir. The street's name is Watermeyer Street. You know what the meaning of Watermeyer is in German or Dutch? You know what it is? Tenant farmer near the water. I started to weep. I was like, God, you've given me a nugget today that I can share with this family about their mom and about their gran living in Watermeyer Street as a tenant and what the meaning of Watermeyer actually means. Tenant farmer near the water. You see that lady? Her name was Heather. I had the privilege of doing her funeral. She was a tenant in Watermeyer Street. She was a Christian. She loved Jesus with all her heart. She was a tenant farmer in the vineyard where God had put her. And she was using her gifts that God had given her to make a difference in people's lives. Someone at the service gets up. We're doing it in this garden where she rented this flat from. Someone gets up and, and, and they say, the, the person says, Heather was a lady who healed a lot of wounds in me. I thought, wow. She healed a lot of wounds in that person. She used her gifts that God had given her to help somebody find healing from the pain and wounds that they've had during their life. Her, her daughter, Heather's daughter, would go to the Sheridan Pick and Pay. And she would phone her mom and say, Mom, what do you want me to, to get for you at the Pick and Pay? And Heather would say, get me a box of rooibos tea bags. And Heather's mom said, but you, you, you don't even drink. Heather's daughter said, Mom, you don't even drink rooibos tea. She says, I know. But my grandson has just started dating this young girl. And maybe, just maybe, she's going to come and have tea with me. And if she does, I want to make sure that I've got rooibos tea bags because she drinks rooibos. I thought, wow, it's taking some of her finance. Just making a difference in this young girlfriend busy dating her grandson. I don't even know if she really liked her, but she wanted to make a difference in this young girl's life. Heather didn't say to her landlord, hey, you mustn't do that, eh? And you must live like that, and you can't do that. No, no. Heather loved her landlord. Her landlord started dating a guy. You know what? Heather didn't judge this guy. Heather loved this man. Heather accepted this man. She didn't judge him. Heather laughed with this landlord's boyfriend. She showed him a little bit of the heart of the owner of the vineyard. The car guards at the Sheridan Pick and Pay. Even this week again, when they see... Her daughter, when they see the landlord come for groceries, where's granny? Where's granny? Granny's not here. Heather was a tenant farming near the water. She was a tenant farmer farming near the water. Psalm 23. I know how we prayed about that again tonight. Eh? Someone prayed about us. I think it was you, Kat. 
that God would lead us besides the still, quiet water. Tenant farmer near the water. Heather's moved. She's no longer a tenant. Heather now stays at her permanent residence in heaven with God. Friends, how are we doing as tenant farmers? How are we doing as tenant farmers farming for our king? I think God has put you and I on this earth for a time such as this. Oh, and what a time it is that we're living in. Yes, for a time such as this. So that we can farm in his vineyard using our gifts and our talents and our time that he's given us. Let's carry on being tenant farmers together next to the still, quiet waters. Stay near the water, Freedom Church. There's a lot of noise right now. Allow God to lead you besides the still, quiet waters. In Jesus' name. Amen.